This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Oils and rubs are terrific. You could drop a little oil in a diffuser or roll some on your skin. Lavender is calming and eucalyptus, another natural oil, helps to open up airwaves and uh, helps to breathe. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn how to prepare your bedroom for winter. We'll discuss the top nutrition trends of 2020. We'll find out about alternative dispute resolution and divorce. And lastly, we'll hear the pros and cons of cooking oils. But first, a little bit of business. Need better sleep? Brought to you by Ultramedic's new Nanogel mattresses. Nanogel is a trailblazing, no-pressure technology made from pure gel. Sleep virtually floating on air with Ultramedic's Nanogel mattresses. Now available with antimicrobial protection against viruses and germs. Nanogel or no gel. Purchase any mattress from Ultramatic this Boxing Week and receive a free adjustable base. Learn more at Ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. Adar Shah nurtured the rise of Ultramatic, the iconic Canadian brand of adjustable beds and maker of delightful wellness products. He received his bachelor's degree in engineering at Cornell University, graduating magna cum laude in 1999. After graduation, Adarsh joined the Monitor Group, a Cambridge-based strategy consulting company. He worked for them in Toronto, New York, and Mumbai on various corporate strategy, market entry, and merger and acquisition projects. He's a proud Torontonian, having lived here for over 30 years, albeit with a few adventurous years in New York in between. He's the father of two mischievous girls and caregiver to his happy, healthy, and wine-loving parents. Welcome back to the show, Adarsh. How are you? I'm good. A little bit under the weather, but breaking through it. Well, that's good to hear. It's getting colder. And, you know, with the colder weather comes sort of uh, some changes that we may need to make to our sleeping chamber. So now that the chills are beginning to set in, how can we stay warm through the night? Well, first part is our bodies. Yeah. You know, how can we keep our our bodies warmer? And we can we can do that. We all probably do that as we make the switch over to a cozier set of pajamas. Yeah. Uh, everyone in my family moves into a, a Christmas-themed set of pajamas. Yeah. That keeps the spirits high. I have, I have an image of you in Christmas long johns that I can't get out of my head right now. <laughs> you have my, my little elf outfit there. Right. But uh, my wife actually makes herself a, a hot water bottle every mm-hmm. night, and that keeps her warm. Seniors and those with sensitive skin should be careful, especially if you have reduced feeling in your skin and you can't feel that temperature. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law was, was burned quite severely from a burst hot water bottle. Oh, yeah, no, we don't want that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to suggest a, a few other options. For one, I use water a little differently. I keep a warm bottle of water beside my bed inside an insulated bottle. Mm-hmm. A swell bottle uh, is a terrific product. Mm-hmm. And uh, a warm sip of water just warms the body wonderfully. If you prefer a little brandy instead, I'll leave that up to you. Right. Brandy does indeed have a calming and warming effect, uh, but it's best to have that brandy after dinner rather than just before bed. Right. And for some people, it may wake them up in the middle of the night. So it may help you get to sleep. It may not help you keep asleep. Yeah, exactly. 
And uh, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you may want to have a cozy set of slippers, uh, a nice robe to wear. As we know, that can happen once in a while. I've got a physical water bottle in the form of a small dog that sleeps right next to me. And if you want to stay warm, have your dog sleep right next to you. That'll keep you warm. Absolutely. You know, the, the other thing we can do is to make your mattress more cozy. How do you do that? Well, the trick here is to regulate the temperature through the night. You, you want the bed to feel warm when you first get in. Mm-hmm. But as your body heat warms the inside of the bed, you want to keep the sleep surface cool and prevent overheating under the blanket. Right. So you can preheat your mattress with a heated mattress pad mm-hmm. before climbing in. They insulate well and they're safer than hot water bottles. Electric blankets do the same trick and they can be a little bit more convenient. Mm-hmm. But, you know, similar to preparing for the outdoors, layering is, is the best strategy. You know, make your bed with additional or different layers in the winter. I change to flannel sheets. Right. And I use a, a breathable down duvet. Okay. How shall I put this? Without naming names, one of the people in this conversation may go commando at night. And, <laughs> and, and actually, that may actually keep you warmer if, you know, sometimes the, the layer of sleepwear actually serves to dysregulate your body warmth. Is that, is that your experience or not? Well, every, everyone's body is different at the end of the day. And yeah. you want to be able to keep that sleep surface of your mattress neutral. Right. So if you're naturally uh, warm-blooded and you don't yep. get too cold, you know, you can get into bed nice and easily and cozy, but it's in, at night. You also don't want to overheat uh, with those heavy blankets on top. Fair enough. All right, so it's a kind of a yin-yang thing. The warmth of our bed is great for sort of keeping us in bed and asleep at night, but it might prevent us from actually getting out of bed in the morning when we have to, right? That's right. You know, and it's, it's related to warmth as well as light. Yeah. You know, um, our bodies are controlled by light in, in a big way. It, it controls what's called our, our circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. Light, specifically the blue light in natural sunlight, increases the flow of melatonin, the sleep hormone in our body. And less light, like in the mornings these days, keeps that hormone flowing, so it keeps us sleepy, even after a great night's sleep. Yeah. So if you, if you start your day early, you want to wake up before the sun rises, you might want to consider a sunrise alarm clock. These tools are pretty cool. They mimic the effects of bright spring mornings. They gradually fill the room with a, with a nice bright glow. Hmm. My sunrise lamp yeah. has a, uh, a sound alarm too, which I can modify. Right. Uh, and I can have birds chirping or an upbeat melody. And I think it's better than, uh, than one of those annoying alarms that go off. I agree. I have a built-in alarm system again. It's my dog who keeps me warm at night. And then when she decides it's time to wake up, she kind of hovers over my head until she senses movement. And then she goes in for the kill and licks my face. So I have rather abrupt mornings sometimes. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I don't know how you, whether she prefers your bedroom more than the other parts of the house. But right. often we'll make our, our bedrooms more insulated than other parts of the house. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll weather strip the doors and the windows and even get a space heater. So that can, you know, warm up a small area nice, nicely without having to use up too much energy in the whole house. I agree. And, and But the interesting thing for me is I actually prefer it colder when I sleep. Like if it's warm, I end up waking up a lot. When it's colder, I end up getting a, a better sleep. I don't know if, if that's the same for you. It is for me. And, uh, you know, where I really find that is in the pillow. 
pillows, whether it's winter or summer,、mm-hmm. always tend to get too hot for me. Yeah. And so finding that you know that pillow that keeps the surface temperature neutral really、uh, enhances my sleep through the night. So we've talked about sleep, but let's focus again on on waking up. So considering that some of us are now waking up when it's dark, how do we get refreshed? How do we how do we feel like we're ready to bound out of bed? Well, one of the things we talked about is these wake up lamps, which、yeah. are terrific. Yeah. But the other thing is,、uh, you know, you could have programmable thermostats, and、oh. you can set them to warm up certain floors or rooms just before you wake up.、Mm-hmm. If you have Wi-Fi or Bluetooth speakers in the house, you can turn them on、uh, at the set time、mm-hmm. uh, and automatically play your favorite playlist, or you know, tune directly to Zoomer Radio. Yep. My Adjustable bed, you know. Speaking of programmable,、mm-hmm. has a great alarm function. It doesn't involve any noise, but it gently, ever so slowly, moves me into a sitting position. Just that movement of my body into an upright position, it gets me ready for for the day. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know you could do that. It doesn't have like an ejector button, does it? Like the James Bond car? <laughs> no, no. That that would be. Pretty neat, but pretty dangerous. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. But you know, if I were going to have that function, it might have like a you know a swift kick to the bum to get you out of bed. You know, on, the, on those lazy days. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you know it's those lazy kicks. Yeah. Can, you know, you need a kick to get yourself out of bed. For sure. And it's sometimes it's just something to look forward to in the yeah, morning. True. You know, a yoga class on Zoom with friends. Sure. Or a morning meditation meditation session. Time to the sunrise, you know, something that makes you、uh, look forward to life. Think about that and, and try to incorporate that into your morning routine. I agree. And at one point, I, I don't do this now, but I was trying to see how many consecutive push-ups I could do. I was trying to work up to a hundred, and I found that the best time of day for me to do it was right when I woke up. That my energy levels were such that that was the perfect time to attempt that feat of strength. So I would say, you know, if you're setting goals for yourself, you know, setting them for the morning when your energy is there, or forcing the energy to be there by setting the goals for the morning, might help get out of bed too. That's a great idea, you know. And, and goal setting doesn't necessarily have to be physical; it could be、uh, something different. Sure. One of my goals is to try as many different coffees as I can in the next year. So I've been trying Hawaiian coffee and Italian coffee, different grounds. Oh wow!、Um, and then I've actually joined a coffee club that delivers、uh, a different, a new coffee to me every week. I was wondering whether you, were, if you were one of those fancy coffee guys, <laughs> are you a French press man or?、Uh, you... I've just discovered、uh, the Bialetti. Ah, okay. Which,、uh, which is it's a, a different type of brewed coffee. Yeah. But、uh, apparently, it's it's quite popular in、uh, in Europe. This time of year, some people may be suffering from colds or have seasonal allergies that are preventing them from breathing easier. What's available for the bedroom to help sort of get good breathing? Yeah, you know, I, I'm certainly using that right now. Oils and rubs are terrific.、Mm-hmm. Uh, you could drop a little oil in a diffuser or roll some on your skin.、Mm-hmm. Lavender is calming, and、uh, eucalyptus, another natural oil, helps to open up airwaves and, and, and、uh, helps to breathe. I have what's called an immunity stick that I can、uh, rub on my neck. Very effective. And I also have the pillow tilt feature on my adjustable bed that allows me to raise the very top portion of my bed only. So if I'm congested, that helps to allow allows me to breathe a little easier. And、uh, do you use a humidifier at all, like a, a room humidifier? Yes, that's a great idea. You know, and humidity in the home tends to really go down、uh, in the home. The, the air dries faster in the winter. Right. So 
the humidifier not only helps with your breathing, but also helps to keep your skin healthy, prevents itchy, uh, chapped skin, Mm -hmm. uh, and also scratchy throats. Another aspect or another factor which can impact our sleep is sort of uh, the stress that sort of keeps us up at night. What recommendations do you have to sort of alleviate that problem? Yeah, you know, absolutely. With less socializing these days with the lockdown, um, less opportunities to go outdoors, people are becoming a little bit more stressed and anxious these days. At bedtime, my alarm clock, my wake-up sunrise alarm clock, it doubles as a bedtime lamp as well. Mm -hmm. It plays soothing ocean sounds while cycling gently through some glowing colors. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, a good bedtime routine is also important. We've spoken about this before. Avoid caffeine, avoid alcohol, avoid screens before bed. Mm -hmm. And if you do wake up and can't get back to sleep, try distracting yourself. Read a few pages of a good book or get out of bed and and go for a walk. Just that exercise, that physical exercise, sometimes gets our bodies back to sleep. I don't count uh, sheep, but I do replay poker hands that I've won lots of money on. So like it forces me to remember the cards and then, you know, it it sort of, it takes away from whatever uh, rumination I'm participating in. It takes me out of the moment just by trying to remember the hand that I played. And I find that I can fall asleep that way too. Plus, you know, remembering how much money I win is also good. Makes you happy. (laughs) That is a very positive building memory. That's great. You see, we both learned something today. I've been reading science fiction books at nighttime more and more as that really puts me into a different world yeah and it, and it kind of moves me out of the regular the stresses of the day-to-day world well i don't know who your favorite author is but i would recommend a writer named david brin if you're looking for something truly unique if you like science fiction i have read his books he's fantastic and i've just discovered uh, the preeminent chinese writer of science fiction uh, Sixin Li. And he, uh, they've translated his books into English now, and, and it is uh, just fantastic. Well, that is great advice, and I will have to look up that author. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Jamie. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss nutrition trends of 2020 on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural Liquid Greens. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
My next guest, Shauna Lindzen, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She is a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalindzen.com. Welcome back, ma'am. How are you? I'm pretty good, Jamie. How are you? Good. We're going to do a little bit of reflection today. We're going to look backwards, right? Because 2020 was a momentous year. Exactly. But, you know, what people may not be thinking about is that the pandemic actually impacted the way we ate and the way we got our nutrition. Absolutely. Like people are thinking more and more about what they're eating because we have a lot more time on our hands, right? Like we're not commuting as much, that type of thing. We're not eating out as much. There's a lot of different trends that have kind of changed us nutritionally. I know people who, who you know, could barely boil water who are cooking for themselves every single night. Now. <laughs> to them, it's a revelation. To me, it's like, okay, I can't think about what I want to cook next because I'm so sick of cooking everything. But for them, it's a brave new world. So. It's funny you say that. Yeah, like they're developing a new skill set. I know. And it's nice. I like it. I like watching people learn. Not me. I like to be like, cool and the outlier, like having cooking as a skill made me unique, but now everybody's doing it. So I'm, I'm just regular now. So who needs that? <laughs> as a dietitian, I've always talked about making your own food, right? Because yeah. you can control what you eat right. rather than letting someone else control what you eat. You know, I know there's such a thing as the COVID-10, right? Like, like one trend is everybody's, eat, you know, they're, they're putting on weight. They really shouldn't be, right? Like if you're not eating as much restaurant food, and you're cooking more for yourself, which I think most people are doing, really, you should be much better at controlling the food intake. You have to think also about activity. Like, yeah, true. we used to be getting up, running out of bed, you know, driving kids to school or driving parents around if you yeah. know, they're older. And now we're a little more sedentary. So there, our activity has changed with our food pattern which I think that that contributes to, as you said, the COVID-10. I am an outlier in the sense that I've actually lost 19 during Oh, really? Yeah. No way, since last March? Yeah. Good for you, Jamie. You've always been like that. You've always kind of taken control. You know, your exercise is always there, but maybe did you pump it up a little? I did. But, you know, if I were truly in control, I wouldn't have had 19 to lose in the first place. (laughs) But that being said, I felt that it was a real trap, that it would be an easy excuse to put on the way. And I think a lot of people feel that way. It's kind of like they don't have the energy to make sure they're not putting on extra weight. And I thought, okay, I better get out in front of it. Lead by example. But let's get into some of the the trends that you've been seeing with the way people are getting their nutrition. Where do you want to start? I think the important place to start is where kind of the future is going, right? So I think people are still thinking more about plant-based nutrition and plant-based eating for environmental reasons, for personal reasons. People want to take care of their health better. And that is a good place to start. I've noticed over time, whereas I used to have meat maybe four times a week for dinner, we're probably Mm -hmm. down to one or two now. 
Really? Yeah. And there was always that trend of like the meatless Monday, you know? And I think it's kind of like the meatless Monday, Wednesday, Friday now, as you say. So people are upping that game. And also there's a lot more to look up on the internet, like recipes to use plant-based proteins, like lentils and uh, legumes and things like that. So we have more resources now available. I would say this. I think you still have to be mindful about getting the right type of protein into you. And I still have food cravings for for meat. I still need to have it. I can't go completely vegetarian or vegan. Which is okay. Yeah, Yeah. no, no, I know. And, you know, I think it's okay if you're preparing your own beans, you're using tofu or whatever it is, how you're getting your protein, dairy, for example. But I'm not sure that we've all turned the corner where the processed stuff is still the bomb. I remember there were some plant-based burgers which were getting incredibly hyped at the beginning of the year. You know, every fast food place all of a sudden had their own version of a veggie burger. And then, you know, flash forward six months later, and I know the pandemic had something to do with it, but I'm not so sure that all those veggie burgers are on everybody's menu anymore. Because at the end of the day, I still struggle with the plant-based food that is pretending to be meat. I'm still not a fan of that. Exactly. And so in a way, it's like taking one step back. Yeah. Like we're trying to push having whole foods, yep. minimizing processed foods, yep. and really minimizing the ultra-processed foods. Correct. So by going to the Beyond Meat Burger, you're actually doing the opposite. You're going towards the ultra process. Yeah. So it's a bit of a heavier topic, right? There's a lot to say about it. And interestingly enough, the Beyond Meat Burger was founded in 2009. Yeah. So it's taken quite a few years to kind of gain popularity in kind of the fast food sector, for instance. And I think thinking about like trends and what the food companies are doing They are moving, and you can read, you probably read about this a lot, like the artificial intelligence to create this type of animal-free protein, it actually is done in a lab. So it's manufactured protein. I I think the problem is people are using vegetable-based foods and vegan foods as a license to actually eat more calories because then they heap on more of the sauces and, and everything else is they're kind of like, well, I'm doing God's work by not having meat. So now I'm just going to pile on all these other things. And I'm not sure they're coming out any further ahead nutritionally. So it changes the taste. But the good news is if people kind of change their mindset and think, I want to add more plant-based foods into my diet with those kind of as an option. So I always say that if people decide to be vegan and they're 100% on the route to being fully vegan, if they're on the road, they need options too. Yep. So it's a good idea for you know the fast food joints to have an option for them. So it shouldn't be an everyday thing. It should be a once in a while thing. Yeah. I, I mean, some people are principled vegans and I understand that, right? Like for, for ethical reasons, they just don't want to have meat and I get that and more power to them and there should be options for them as well for sure Mm -hmm. because for me the big issue is if you're going to go down that road you have to make sure you're getting your proteins and i think there are other options for proteins now that people are considering is that what you're seeing exactly so actually if you look at let's say the egg alternative because egg is kind of your quintessential protein that you think about right when you're thinking about an animal-based protein so they're actually making egg substitutes with 
mung beans, or you can make it with like ground flax seeds. So there are ways to get your protein, but to be honest with you, Jamie, when it comes down to it, I'd rather people just eat whole grains, legumes, lentils, like chickpeas, kidney beans, the red lentils, the green lentils, just cook those up. Those are whole foods, you know, by nature. Right. So they haven't been manipulated, and it's still okay to eat some of, you know, the Beyond Meat burgers that have the pea protein, yep. but it is isolated. Like, it's not the whole bean or the whole pea. So go for the whole food if you're thinking about going more plant-based. Remember, like you just said, you are plant-based, but you still need your meat. Yep. That's still called plant-based. No, I know. You don't have to be called or go vegan to be plant-based. You can be all-inclusive. You know, I need my steak every now and then. I like fish. I like poultry. I can feel the difference with the different types of protein that I eat. I'm still that way. Yeah, uh, it still gives you kind of a different boost. Like, correct. Yeah. Depending on what yeah. you eat. You know, after, yeah. I, after I finish like doing heavy weights, I kind of want a meat protein after. That's just you want a steak, yeah. I do. Which, psychologically, like you actually, you need the iron. You need the yeah. protein. So yep. there's different ways to get it. And I'm I'm on your side. I'm an all-inclusive eater. Yep. If people decide to exclude different foods or food groups, they have to make sure that they add in the nutrients yeah. in some other way. Okay. So the, another trend that's come up isn't necessarily what you're eating, but when you're eating. And what we're talking about is intermittent fasting. Yeah. So this trend, it's a huge trend. Like lots of people do it and some people do it without even labeling it, right? So there is science to back it up. It's very popular. People will go kind of eat for eight hours and not eat for, you know, the other hours in the day type of thing. You're you're just compressing when your meals are. You're shortening the window when you're allowed to eat is the simplest way of putting it. And it's funny because people decide on their own. Like I'm going to start eating at 11. I'm going to stop eating by 6 or 7 p.m. If it works for you, go for it. I don't think that, you know, we can do a cookie cutter approach with nutrition, like saying that everyone has to eat breakfast. If people aren't hungry, if they get a stomach ache from eating breakfast, try to eat a little later in the morning and see if that works for you. It's all about individually what works for you. There's no cookie cutter approach. I've been reading more and more that intermittent fasting isn't quite as effective as it's led on to be. It's interesting because I do still counsel private clients and I find that some of my clients who try it say that they feel almost like their metabolism has become sluggish. Yeah. As I said, and I always say, If it's not the right thing for you and you're not feeling great, don't do it. Try something else. And it is trial and error. We're all made up of different genetics, so different things will work for different people. My big deal is sustainability because I believe, you know, I've struggled with my weight my entire life. And if I don't have a plan that I can execute at any time and every time, it is of no value to me because what it means is I'm just going to ride a roller coaster of gaining weight and losing weight. And as you get older, the heights become higher and the dips become less dippy and you end up just gaining more weight. So like you have to have a plan. And and as you said, yeah, there's no cookie cutter approach. It has to be something that works for you, but it has to work for you continuously. 
Exactly. And the facts are, as we age, our yeah. lean body mass goes down, yep. our fat mass goes up. It's That's scientifically documented yep. that it happens to everybody. And in order to feel your best, you want to eat according to what makes you feel your best. So if you're a breakfast eater, go for it. If you have to eat every three to four hours like I do, yep. I, I can't imagine going more than four hours without eating. You know, for example, not that it really matters, but I can't eat after dinner. If I eat after dinner, that's the slippery slope that kills me. But I got to have breakfast. And sometimes I need an afternoon snack, particularly if I've been exercising. Because I like to exercise at a weird time. I like to do it right before dinner. I think that brings us into the mindful eating aspect. And yeah. As we think about it, we tend to appreciate food more and it gets easier and easier as we think about it. So that's what actually makes me feel good is when I'm mindfully eating and I'm not just eating because it's around. Like when I'm thinking about it, I'm slowing down, I'm enjoying like the taste, the texture of the food. And I think that's also a big trend that was in 2020 that I think move, is going to move into 2021. I hope you're right. I hope people who now have the time to enjoy their food and think about it don't move away from that as they get busier again. Yeah, that's something that should definitely be something to continue. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. What do you want to talk about in the new year? I think it's a good idea to focus on the positive changes we've made during the pandemic and just kind of celebrate them. I think that's a great idea. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss alternative dispute resolution and divorce on The Tonic. Medicinal mushrooms offer a multitude of health benefits, including immune support, improved energy, and stress reduction. All medicinal mushrooms from New Roots Herbal are hot water extracted, so you get their full health benefits. Discover reishi, lion's mane, or resilience, a seven-mushroom blend. Find the complete selection of New Roots Herbal medicinal mushrooms exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit newrootsherbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Fine and Associates are family lawyers who dedicate themselves to dealing with separation and divorce matters every day. They specialize in custody, access, child and spousal support, and division of family property. It's their mission to resolve all issues amicably. But, if necessary, they're prepared to go to court and fight strongly on your behalf. Fine and Associates family lawyers are committed to achieving the results that you deserve to help you move forward with your life. If you're going through a separation or divorce, Call 416-650-1300 to speak to Lauren Fine for a free initial phone consultation. For more information, visit torontodivorcelaw.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Rachel Nusinoff has been practicing family law for over 12 years. Since she was called to the bar in 2008, Rachel has extensive experience both in and out of the courtroom. She regularly attends all levels of court where she's a fierce advocate for her clients. Rachel is also a skilled negotiator who works tirelessly to resolve cases in the best interests of her clients. She provides a tailored approach to each case to ensure that each individual client's needs and objectives are met. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for that lovely introduction. My pleasure. I'm very well. How are you? Good. That's what we do here. So a lot of people, when they think about divorce law, you know, what they see on TV is, you know, two very, you know, aggressive lawyers battling each other before a judge. But you know differently. It, it doesn't necessarily work like that, right? 
No. Well, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen in real life. <laughs> yeah. So there's lots of different options that are available to each individual person. And really, it's a matter of meeting with the client, speaking with them, understanding their goals, what they hope to achieve, and then finding a process that's best suited to that individual case. Let's talk a bit about what the alternatives are that are that might be available to a client who may not want to be engaged in a long court battle because, you know, heaven knows nobody really wants that. Right. So one option that we do quite um, a fair bit of is mediation. Mm -hmm. So that's where the parties hire a neutral third party mediator who's who's only sort of goal and job is to help these two people reach a fair settlement and to resolve their case. And sometimes I go to a mediation for a day and we're able to settle. Sometimes it takes one or two sessions to reach an agreement. Um, Another option is an arbitration option. So that's where two people Um, hire like a private judge. So you would still have sort of a mini trial, but it would be the quote-unquote judge would be the arbitrator that that you have hired. And there's some benefits to doing that because with an arbitrator, you're getting somebody, you can pick somebody who has, for example, more experience in the family law arena because not every judge is is used to that, right? Exactly, exactly. And Um, And another benefit might be that, you know, you might get to a resolution faster because getting before an arbitrator, you know, the wait for a hearing date might be much shorter. Yes, you're right. So that, that's a huge benefit is that it's a much more streamlined process. Uh, you're not waiting six months for your next court date. You're booking things directly with the arbitrator. And you also have a little bit more flexibility in terms of the process. You might not want to go through all of the mandatory um, conferences that you would have to, to do in court. You might want to fashion a much more individualized and streamlined process. And one of the most important benefits, um, I believe, of mediation and of arbitration is that they're private. And that's important to a lot of people. In your experience, is is it any more expensive or is it less expensive to go the, the private route? In general, I do find that it can be less expensive because you're much more productive. So in terms of the mediation, if you go to a mediation for a day and you're able to resolve your whole case, then that's a day very well spent. For sure. And that's that's money well spent too. My experience was, you know, you didn't necessarily settle things at the mediation, but it sort of helped to bridge what might have been impassive issues. And, you know, maybe that settlement might come the next week but just sort of being in front of each other and hashing it out with the lawyers present was enough to sort of spur settlement. Yeah, and that happens too. That I, I've settled some cases at mediation, in the physical mediation at yeah. 11 o'clock at night or, or midnight sometimes when yeah. you're hammering out a deal because everyone is there and is engaged and committed to getting it done. And certainly that's less common these days because of COVID-19 all of our mediations and arbitrations and, and trials and everything like that has moved to a virtual platform. Right. 
So we're attending mediations now through video conferencing platforms. So I am finding a lot more these days that you're having the mediation, but then carrying on afterwards on your own, continuing to negotiate with the lawyers. Is there such a thing as mediation arbitration, sort of a a hybrid process where you start off at mediation and then proceed to arbitration if you can't sort of bridge the gap? Because I know that happens in, in commercial matters. Is that common in family law? Absolutely. Absolutely. We do do that quite often as well. And the benefit of having the hybrid meter option is that it has that extra element of pressure to settle at the mediation stage. Because you know that if you don't resolve things at mediation, you have this arbitration sort of hanging over your head. And a lot of people want to um, want to avoid that and avoid the continuing on to the arbitration stage. So that's really an appealing option for a lot of people who want to try to resolve things at mediation, but maybe one or sometimes both of the parties need that extra added pressure to really take the mediation seriously and to really um, get down to business to to making a deal. I think a lot of the listeners would be surprised to learn how few cases actually make it to trial. But in your experience, how many, what proportion of your clients end up settling matters at the mediation stage? Oh, 99.9% of them. And I've settled some cases at mediation that quite frankly, we were, we were surprised got settled. But sometimes you have a really good combination of really good experienced lawyers who are doing the best job that they can to settle the case and a really good mediator who's experienced in family law and experienced negotiator and knows the case well so that they can speak to the strengths and weaknesses of each party's case. Are you finding that because of COVID and, and less face-to-face mediations that the mediations are, are being less effective? in the current environment? No, no. I've actually find that people have really adapted very, very well to the new normal, so to speak. So I think it takes sometimes a little bit more creativity mm-hmm. um, and a little bit um, uh, of sort of thinking about things in a different way. But all of the mediations that I've done since last March um, have I found have been, you know, extremely productive. My experience was, and I only saw this sort of uh, peripherally because I didn't really practice family law, but I would see it when I would go to court, is that there were a lot of unrepresented litigants because they simply couldn't afford to hire a lawyer. And in most cases, a lot of what people are fighting over probably doesn't merit the cost of going to court or even hiring a lawyer. Is that your experience? Well, there are a lot of people who decide to represent themselves. What you might not know is that a lot of those people who are technically self-represented usually have a lawyer working and helping them in the background. Mm. So we always suggest and recommend that people work with a family lawyer. And whether it's to go to court or to help them with the mediation or even to negotiate with the other side. Because a family, our job as family lawyers is to help our clients through what is oftentimes the most difficult process of their lives. Mm-hmm. 
And if, if a client or a party doesn't have a lot of family knowledge, then they're really at a disadvantage. They're at a disadvantage in court and at a mediation because they don't have someone who's giving them the right kind of advice. And that could be, you know, unfortunately could lead to, you know, maybe agreeing to terms that aren't really reasonable or right for them. Mm-hmm. Or it could be the opposite. It could be someone, you know, being very firm in a position that isn't legally sound, which can also prevent these two people from moving forward to resolving their matter, which is the goal, to get our clients through this process effectively, efficiently, uh, at the lowest possible cost to them, but while also achieving their goals and reaching a very reasonable resolution. So one thing that we haven't touched upon is a notion of, of sort of working together within the divorce law parameters. And what that's called is a collaborative divorce. Can you explain what that is and who it might be appropriate for? Sure, of course. So collaborative family law is a completely different branch where the focus is on uh, making a commitment to resolving your case cooperatively and reasonably. And, and parties who decide to go into a collaborative law process actually sign an agreement saying that they will not go to court. And if they do decide to go to court for whatever reason, then they have to retain new lawyers. But the collaborative lawyers cannot start court proceedings or represent the parties in a court proceeding. And the reason that that's so important is because it helps to focus on settlement. And it sort of takes away some of the very aggressive negotiating tactics that aren't really conducive to a collaborative family law file. So um, we see a lot of parents who prefer to use a collaborative approach because they recognize that there's a benefit to them to maintaining a positive relationship with one another, to be able to co-parent effectively, to move on from the process as unscathed as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, collaborative law, though, is not really appropriate for everyone. So if there are urgent issues that need to be addressed, it wouldn't be the right process. If there's any history of abuse, or financial abuse or power imbalances, then a collaborative process wouldn't be appropriate. You'd want to look at different options. But for a lot of families, it really is um, a really good option to resolving things cooperatively. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today and explaining that to us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss cooking oils on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. 
Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing the root cause of a medical issue and using natural therapies either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. End of the year, fun times. Everybody I'm hoping is cheerful and happy. And we're we're doing a light topic today. Nothing nothing super serious, right? That's right. So today, as I understand it, we're going to talk about various cooking oils and what you should be looking for. And then you're going to tell us which ones to avoid and, and which ones are good. Absolutely. So let's talk about the health benefits of oils, because there are some health benefits. Absolutely. And I think, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we went through kind of this era where oils and fats got this bad rep. They should be avoided. You know, there was that whole low-fat craze. And with that came all these other, you know, things like the spray pan stuff that hardly had any calories. Mm -hmm. Now we know that some of that actually was not good for our health, and we need oils in our diet specifically for heart health and brain functioning. Certain types of oils are really beneficial for the heart, for the brain, and also to reduce inflammation in the body. Oils also, because they're a fat, they provide a really good type of energy. So they keep us full for longer and they keep us satiated. And we know that diets that do contain some healthy fats and oils tend to be more effective for keeping weight at a healthy level long term. Yeah, and I understood, like, in some instances, like, getting the proper fat also helps your brain function as well. Exactly. Like, like, like our brain needs oils. It needs fats in order to function. Like, when you when you deprive your brain of fat, that's when you start getting addle-minded. But not all oils are the same. Like, you know, there are oils that are better at, at what you just described than others, right? There are. And I'm sure a lot of people can't have heard about, the you know, omega-3 fatty acids, omega-6 saturated fats versus unsaturated fats and we don't really even need to get into the nitty-gritty of that per se Mm -hmm. but just kind of like a blanket statement there's some oils that have been refined and that are pro-inflammatory and these are the ones that should be avoided so specifically those are corn oil canola oil soybean oil safflower oil and other vegetable oils also margarine so these oils because of the refining and process that they go through. And because of the type of oils these are, a lot of them are more omega-6 fatty acids, Mm -hmm. they can be pro-inflammatory in the body. And we know some of the recent literature and the recent studies that have come out is showing that when we look at people with pain issues or inflammatory issues, diabetes, even weight gain, we know that removing these oils from the body can actually help to reduce some of these symptoms and definitely help with weight loss. Right. And also some of the bad oils are the ones that create problems, the, the heart disease issues with the restricting of the blood flow, et cetera, as well. Right. With the caking in the uh, in the veins and the arteries. 
And these are the oils when, you know, we had more of that, you know, scare of fat, that trans fats and so forth were really bad for the health. These are the oils that actually do, you know, have that credibility saying, yeah, they they do cause the oxidation in the body, causing more heart issues and also brain issues. Right. All right. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about the functionality of oil, right? So that we've discussed health issues, but obviously people have oils for a purpose, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of reasons, like I said, you know, oil and fat keeps us feeling full. It's important for the brain, but it's really important for every process in the body because when you look at a cell, the membrane of our cells, and I'm talking about every single cell in our body, is made up of something called a lipid bilayer, and lipids are fat. So fats are really necessary to build all the cells in our body and for all cellular functions to carry out. Mm -hmm. So if we provide, you know, good, clean oil, almost like, you know, you put oil or gas into a car, you're going to have, you know, good functioning cells and body systems. If you're putting these trans fats in, it's going to be, you know, like putting bad oil into a car. So some of the things that we can, you know, tease out of that right away is we know that certain oils are really important and beneficial for vision health, eye health, and skin health. And one of those oils specifically, if you if you want to get into the specifics, is avocado oils, you know, specifically has these monounsaturated fats, and we know the types of fats that are combined, like, are contained in this avocado oil are really good for skin and eye health. Well, sticking with avocado oil, how does it function within cooking and eating? Like, is avocado oil a finishing oil? Can you fry vegetables in it? Right. Avocado oil specifically has a high smoke point. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about cooking oils, some cooking oils have a low smoke point, and they can break down very quickly and easily when we use high heat like frying. And that can create these harmful free radicals and and can be pro-inflammatory. Other oils, like avocado, has a very high smoke point. Its smoke point is actually 520 degrees Fahrenheit. So Hmm. it's great to use for frying or baking. You can basically use it in any sort of thing you're doing because it's not going to oxidize and turn into that pro-inflammatory fat. And avocado oil is is also a nice finishing oil, too. I mean, like, if if, if you're looking for a different flavor, I mean, I usually think of olive oil for finishing, but you, you can definitely use it in salads, raw. The only thing I would say about avocado oil is it's not cheap. That's right. You can get it at some bigger box stores yep. right now are selling it for a lot cheaper, but it's still comparative to other oils, more expensive. That said, you know, like anything, you get what you pay for. Yep. And it's true, especially of food. And with oil, you don't need a lot. The avocado I have oiled, avocado oil, I don't use it a ton, but I do use it and it lasts me a long time. I wouldn't say it's a go-to oil for me for cooking. Naomi bakes with avocado oil sometimes and, you know, we definitely use it in certain salads where, you know, it may be more appropriate, but I wouldn't say we do a lot of cooking with it. Yeah. I do use it for baking as well. You know, we are going to touch on coconut oil and coconut oil also has a high smoke point, but coconut oil most of the time has a really distinctive taste for people. So avocado oil, you can't taste 
for me at least, I don't, especially in baking, it's not like I taste, okay, there's an avocado baked in here. Right. I, I don't really notice a difference. Whereas with coconut oil, if you're using that for baking, a lot of people can tell it has a little bit of a coconut flavor, which some people don't like. You know, as I get older, I actually appreciate the taste of coconut more. I never liked it when I was young. And as a kid, I absolutely did not like it. But it may be a function of the higher quality coconut oils that are available now, because I don't think they were regularly available when I was growing up. But there's all there's all sorts of coconut oils. And, you know, like when you see it, like when you go shopping for a coconut oil, are you looking for extra virgin or or does it matter to you? Like, what what do you look for? For me, I, I am looking for extra virgin oil and ideally I'm looking for organic. There has been some reports of coconut oil, you know, the lower quality coconut oils that do have whitening ingredients in them to make them look a little bit whiter. And there may actually be some coconut oils that have coconut flavor added to them too, which I personally don't want any added flavor into my oils. I just want it naturally as it is. So I do look for the extra virgin organic. It's also not cheap, but the interesting thing is like my family uses it topically as well. Like one of my kids uses it for his hair and I know it has all sorts of applications, but generally it's a good oil, right? Like you, you advocate for coconut oil, don't you? It's a great oil. There is some development of allergies to coconut, which obviously should be, you know, aware. But if you're not allergic to the oil and you don't mind the taste of coconut, it's a great oil. Specifically, one, it has a high smoke point, as we mentioned. It's not as high as avocado oil. Coconut oil smoke point's about 350 degrees, which, I mean, you still can do a lot with that. Mm -hmm. It's a great source of medium-chain triglycerides, which I know you and I have spoken about before. Mm -hmm. It's a type of saturated fatty acid, which, again, saturated fats have typically got a bad rep, but this type of saturated fat has been shown to have a lot of health benefits, specifically with one, potentially with weight loss, and two, providing the brain energy and may help protect against uh, memory loss. Okay. So let's move on to the other oil, which is a hero, which is? Extra virgin olive oil. Yeah, that's my fave. Me too. Absolutely. I love the taste of it. Yeah. We go through an awful lot of it in our house. But if you're going to use a lot of oil, that's the one to use in my view. And there's a lot of research on extra virgin olive oil, specifically that it absolutely has been tied to reducing inflammation, improving blood sugar levels, and reducing heart disease risk factors. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people, those are three things that you're trying to reduce or lower or be aware of as you age. So extra virgin olive oil kind of uh, checks quite a few boxes in that respect. Mm Mm-hmm. So the only thing with extra virgin olive oil is it's not as good to fry with. It does have a little bit lower smoke point, and it is a better finishing oil, better to use after you've cooked, put on salads. I even put it on quinoa or rice. My son, who's two, loves it on all of his food. He asks for it, all drizzled all over his food every night. Yeah, I mean, we don't do a ton of, like, we don't deep fry, really. I I think you can still saute with olive oil. You, you know, can, just not on really high heat. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. you shouldn't be sautéing on really high heat anyways. It should be medium high. But, you know, in terms of salads, you know, it, that's where I think there's value in splurging. Like if you get a really, really good first press virgin olive oil that's organic, you know, you can really taste it. You can even taste what, you know, the oils of uh, Italy are very grassy. The ones in Spain are very rich. You know, you can really taste the difference. And that's a good point you brought up. When you're looking for an olive oil, you do want to look for that first press label. It ideally also says cold pressed, 
And even better is it has a stamp on it of when it was processed, when it was bottled. And that's how you know. Unfortunately, there's oils on the market right now have been diluted or mixed with other oils, specifically olive oils. So if you have something that has that stamp that it's been processed and bottled at this date, it says cold pressed extra virgin olive oil. Those are some good things to look for. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. In the new year, what are we going to talk about next month? We're going to talk about keeping our mood up during these, you know, somewhat challenging times. That sounds great. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Adar Shah, Shauna Lindzen, Rachel Nusinoff, and Dr. Emily Lipinski, ND. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The November-December issue is now available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. And starting with our next issue, January-February, delivered with the Globe and Mail to every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website, tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, our first of 2021, we'll discuss beating cooking fatigue, medical cannabis for anxiety and mental health, and a mindful year in review. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy New Year. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.